On this high-powered episode, we focus on forging a warrior for combat. As warriors, we must be ready to defend ourselves and our families against violent attacks. We break down the realities of self-defense, combatives, and of course, the martial arts. Our special guest today is Judo and Jiu-Jitsu champion, Dave Camarillo. He is a founder of Guerrilla Jiu-Jitsu and a world-renowned instructor. Dave has been training in the martial arts since he was five years old and his philosophy is straightforward. He is a believer that everyone can transform their lives mentally and physically through the martial arts. Join us in this deep conversation where we lay out everything on the table for you. We talk about the martial arts such as Judo, Aikido, Jiu Jitsu, MMA, and Kung Fu. Dave shuts down any criticism and disrespect for other martial arts and presents an open mind. Whip out your pen and paper and take notes. Stand by. Rise up, a warrior, my brothers. Welcome back to the Man of War podcast. My name is Rafa Conde, and I am your host. Listen, I want to welcome you to our podcast. If you're new, and if you're not, and you've been following us and listening to our shows, well, welcome back. I want to touch base on a couple of things here. All right, the last week or so, I've received about 15 different emails of men asking me, how they can get stronger in confidence, right? How they can get stronger in mindset. And I got to tell you, there's probably about 40 different episodes here on the podcast that we talk about mindset and we talk about building confidence. So I say to you, just scan back, go down to, you know, start off, I would say from number 15 and go up from there and start listening to some of these shows because they are truly inspiring. They're truly motivational. I got some great guests on and we've covered a lot of these uh, topics. So go there check it out and if you have more questions of course just you know I, listen i am very immersive and i'm very on top of my game when it comes to answering emails answering messages because that's just the way i roll i want to be able to be here for you and to answer questions for you um, obviously, I you know I get tied up. I'm pretty busy across the board. I'm running different businesses, platforms, and I'm also a full-time police officer. So yeah, man, I mean, I'm definitely busy. Now, another aspect that I want to talk about when we talk about busyness, right? And I'm going to do a show coming up probably in the next week or so about this. I'm going to talk about how to organize your time. All right, we have a lot of bullshit artists out there that say, hey, you know what, they fucking work their ass off, they don't have time for training, they don't have time for exercise, don't have time to run a business, blah, 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 bunch of shit. Let me tell you something, all right? I work somewhere in the neighborhood between 16 and 18 hours a day, five to six days a week. Listen, if I could find time to do what I do in my daily life and be a father and a husband, you can do it too. So stop fucking making excuses. And I'm going to bring you a show coming up here in the next week or two. I'm going to square this away and bring it to the table. 
All right, now let's talk a little bit about the YouTube page. Listen up. The YouTube page will be released shortly. The reason it's taken a little bit longer than usual is because I really want to give you three videos, maybe even four videos initially when I release the page. I want to give you quality and I want to make sure that you understand our vision and our mission going forward with this page. So I'm looking forward to it and I will absolutely let you know when it's live and be pushing that traffic to that. That is a great project that I have ongoing and it'll happen and it's going to be badass. You're going to get some phenomenal information from that channel. All right. If you have not done so already, gentlemen, please leave us a review on iTunes. This is how we grow. This is how we foster. This is how we continue trending higher on the iTunes charts and letting this movement free, right? Letting it out there so other individuals could start following this movement. We need more warrior-minded men. All right, so I'm going to ask you to please go to iTunes and leave us a review, subscribe, and that'll mean so much to us. It'll mean so much to the show. Also, check out the Warrior Development Academy at forgingawarrior.com. We have 223 men right now that are going through the transformation. It is badass. You're going to get some unbelievable information, video instruction. You're going to get webinars. You're going to get basically a tremendous amount of information at your fingertips and a structure to follow through so you could start walking in that warrior's path. Check us out also, of course on Instagram. That's where I'm blowing it up right now, at Man of War with two R's. And don't forget to go grab your free warrior guide. All right. It is absolutely free. Forgingawarrior.com forward slash manual. Now let's get right into this show. Dave, welcome to the Man of War podcast. My brother, it's an honor to have you on. Oh, thank you very much, Rafa. I appreciate it. Awesome, man. So we were talking before the show here. And, you know, you come from, from an awesome background. You know, your father taught you judo and then you switched hats and went into BJJ. But one of the things in the components that I was really, um, you know, kind of focused and dialed in on is the fact that you've kept that combative approach to your teaching methodology. All right. We're going to get into that. But before that, can you introduce yourself for our listeners, please? Uh, my name is Dave. I've been uh, training martial arts uh, since I was five years old. I started with judo. I competed heavily on the international, national scene. Started jiu-jitsu when I was 19. I'm a black belt in both. Uh, started training fighters years ago. Uh, was at the American Kickboxing Academy for about eight years. And I also trained in combatives, modern army combatives. And I've been working with a unit uh, for the last eight years. Uh, and I also work with law enforcement. So I think everything related to fighting, shooting, uh, even some blade work and, uh, uh, in the context of keeping people alive under extreme duress. Awesome. Awesome. All right. So we're going to dive deep in here because, um, like you have a very, very similar background to myself. You know, I came up in judo, I transitioned to Aikido and then I went into BJJ and, uh, I studied a lot of knife. Um, and I teach a lot on the defensive tactics in the police academy. And, you know, for me is, you know, I believe like you that the martial arts are a combative oriented combat arts. And we were talking before the show, you were mentioning, and I, I kind of want to dial in here a little bit. 
what you think the differences are between, say, judo and jiu-jitsu, modern-day Brazilian-type jiu-jitsu? I think they're, they do really well at, uh, you know, I always say rules dictate behavior, so they do really well at sitting at each side of the spectrum. So Brazilian jiu-jitsu is mainly newaza, what they call it, newaza in judo, which is the groundwork. It focuses on the groundwork. Uh, like I've always said, you don't have to be a takedown specialist to be a world champion. You can have terrible takedowns and still be a world champion in, in jiu-jitsu. Whereas judo uh, starts on those feet and really focuses on the feet, the tachiwaza aspect, the throws, and has a little bit of newaza. You can do pretty much everything uh, in judo that you can in jiu-jitsu, but not vice versa. So you can't grab the leg in judo. So the rules uh, definitely dictate a behavior and the rules are governed by people that want a specific outcome, a specific result, a specific display of their art, and they're constantly obviously changing, much like uh, government. Um, and I think one of the things that separate uh, where it, you know, BJJ is essentially the technical means to uh, be efficient with overcoming a, a threat or an opponent uh, through a more methodical approach, whereas judo has a sense of urgency, which means you're moving at a higher rapid pace. There's a little bit more fighting, hand fighting, and uh, a lot more movement. So, for example, you can be in decent shape in jiu-jitsu and do well. You have to be in really good shape in, in judo. Judo also hurts Agreed. Judo also hurts the body a lot more than jiu-jitsu because you're taking more impact, high-impact uh, falls. Therefore, your ukemi, your break fall, is much stronger in judo. Whereas I think your technical approach, at least the way your mind uh, forms around the art, is, is a little bit more technical in terms of jiu-jitsu. Uh, I think the jiu-jitsu stylists uh, like to figure an easy way out uh, via leverage where the judo can kind of be the caveman and, and slam through things. Got it. That's an interesting approach. And tell me a little bit about when you first started training and developing your mindset in the martial arts. I mean, you mentioned that your father, you know, taught you. Tell me a little bit about your journey, you know, training under your father. So my father was pretty hardcore. He wanted two Olympians, uh, me and my brother Daniel. Uh, we started training at the age of four or five. We started competing, I don't remember, maybe seven or eight, maybe six. I don't remember exactly when we started competing. But... Uh, we were heavily involved. My dad, even at one point, he had a a dojo, which we trained five to six days a week. But on Sunday, we had a day off, so we would train in the back pasture. My dad built a, uh, I think it's a six-car garage and matted it. It had a bathroom, and uh, we would have camps there and training. So training was all the time. <laughs> Love yeah, it. it's hardcore. Um, you know, essentially, that was our lives. Uh, we hunted. Now, did, did, he come, did he come up under some very traditional Japanese, you know, teachers, sensei? Yeah, Huru Imamura out of Fresno State, uh, who recently passed, but he was our sensei. He was my father's sensei. My father also, though, before I heavily got into it, he was at Tenri Dojo in, in Los Angeles area because he was from there. Uh, we grew up in Bakersfield, so uh, when he got on his own, he started the academy and started training us, and uh, it was pretty much for his kids. Uh, when we stopped doing the, the Bakersfield thing and moved on to Fresno State to train with Haru Imamura, uh, he he stopped doing the judo. He wasn't so focused on it. But really, he uh, and my mother uh, created an environment for both of us that, you know, 
if you try something hard, you know, it's natural to want to quit. Even the tough guys, even like UFC champions, they've all wanted to quit at one point in their lives. I've wanted to quit over a hundred times, but I think it was my father's mentality. Just not allowing that to be an option is the reason why I continue. And it's the reason why I'm on this podcast. It's the reason why I have these ears. It's the reason why I do all these things and have utilized my experiences in judo to transfer that energy and creativity into jiu-jitsu and all the other things that I've done. But it's the mentality of, uh, you know, you're not allowed to quit kind of thing. Um, but by the time I was 14 years of age, I got addicted to it. So I didn't need him to hide judo gis underneath the seat in the car because I would hide mine underneath the bed to try to avoid training. <laughs> uh, and that's the environment I grew up in. So, yeah, it was pretty hardcore. But, uh, you know, I thank my father every single day because uh, it, it, you talk about essence. It is me. That is me. That's what I do. Um and it was it was it was great having a father that uh, had a vision of where I'm going to be when I'm 42. You know, as I sit here talking to you now. That's awesome. So basically, you know, your father instilled that mindset in you from from his you know previous learning and and, and his experience in his life going through you know getting taught judo. That's and you know what I really you know, admire about especially parents because I'm, I have my own dojo and I have two kids that I'm training. I'm training a 12 year old and an 18 year old. And it's very, very fucking challenging. I must say it is a challenge day in and day out. And, you know, I admire the fact that he had the, the, I guess the tenacity and the fortitude to keep you guys in there and freaking drill you out. And today you, you sit here you know, thanking the stars that your father made you who you are today, because in your core, uh, you know, you follow that warrior's path, right? That Budo, that that Bushido, the way of the warrior, and and that's that's phenomenal. Now let's transition over to after you trained judo, um, you decided to go into BJJ. Let's expand a little bit on that. Talk to me. So I just feel like uh, it was very natural for me to, you know, to always want something more. Uh, and I think that's that was just a natural thing. When you've done judo so long, there's only so many types of repetitions that you can do, ways of learning different throws. Uh, and I felt that my groundwork needed uh, further tutoring, I would say. Uh, um, and so when I was about 19 years of age, I checked out Ralph Gracie. He was in Pleasant Hill at the time, California. He was partnered up with Caesar Gracie. And I started training with them full time. Uh, they took a, a liking to me. I, they probably saw, okay, here's somebody obviously with talent because I'd go in and, I mean, even back then when I was just a judo guy, I was submitting most everybody. But remember, this is way back. This isn't like today. The, things are totally different. Jiu-Jitsu back then was, nobody knew what it was, let's just say. Today, today uh, it's all over the place. There's academies all over the place. Uh, so back then, I think they saw, obviously, here's a talented kid, 19 years of age. He had international judo experience. When people would stand up, I would throw them. They liked that. So they put a lot of effort into me, Caesar and Half Gracie, private lesson after private lesson, really dumped a lot of energy into me. And in 10 practices, for example, I got my blue belt. And uh, I just kind of catapulted myself from there because my judo, because you're moving at such a high rate of speed, and then you do jiu-jitsu and you almost get bored because everybody wants to stall. Uh, at least back then, that's what I called it. Now it's like, okay, they're methodical. They're trying to be 
you know, the way I look at it, they're not in good shape. So they're trying to extend their conditioning all the way through a round and survive. And then as I tire myself out utilizing uh, or burning my energy, they're going to come out in the end. These are strategies that jiu-jitsu people have, whereas in judo, that's not really a strategy because I'm fighting you for really hard for five minutes as long as the match is. Huge difference. So, I agree. Yep. Yeah. So I was moving at 100 miles an hour. They're moving at 20. And I right. ran circles around a lot of people. Um, but you get up to the higher belts and that doesn't work as as, as well as it, it would on a, on a more novice practitioner. So there was this kind of shock to my system and shock to their system. So I think it benefited everyone involved. Now, let's talk a little bit about the uh, sense of urgency. And this is what I have noticed over the last, say, eight to ten years specifically. Um, I've seen BJJ really get distilled down in many, many academies down to just a competitive sport with real tactics and techniques that, in my opinion, will get crushed in the real world. Um, And... Uh, you know, I, I've just kind of seen it distilled from the old Gracie traditional way of rolling and moving, um, had a much harder edge to it, much more combative oriented. And I've just seen it kind of like just dwindle down to a lot of spinning, pretty movements. But, you know, the fact is that I'm not sure that's too pragmatic or practical for the real world out there in the street. Yeah, this is a long conversation, but I'll try to be quick. I think uh, there's a lot of uh, salesmen who also are black belts and are selling a product, and and I have no problem with that. But I think uh, sometimes, you know, what your your selling capabilities I think overshadows your actual content, and so it, it lures people in, and then. I'm, but that it's a good and bad thing. So I I think it's a good thing overall because it's growing the. I mean, at least people, more people are doing jujitsu. So people under our age who like, I grew up with training with Ralph Gracie, we were punching each other. We were fighting, you know, we were doing self-defense before it became famous, headlock escapes, all these things. So I've been doing that forever, but yeah, there was this more, you know, intent that this is a real situation. You're going to have to fight your way out of it. The problem with that is though, here's the problem with this. Um, and I'm trying to give an answer that shares each side of the spectrum. The problem with that is you're going to lose people. And so, for example, right now, if I don't know if I'm on your your screen, you're looking at a crazy person. You know why? Because I stayed with it. And and I'm saying crazy, meaning, uh, you know, if you get a hundred people and there's some kind of norm there, I'm way crazy. I'm way aside of, yeah, this guy can take a beating and never quits. Well, most people can't. And so, when you say watered down, yeah, it's definitely been watered down, but it has to be uh, to get the individual to reach their potential. Remember, I, I think the issue with people is they look at a black belt and all black belts should have a certain standard. The reality is every black belt, because that's impossible, every black belt uh, you know, reaches a black belt that makes sense to that individual because they have different genetics. That's a huge one. They have different experiences in life. And I think the number one thing that we should focus on is uh, getting people to not quit. Uh, at the same time, yeah, you can say it's been watered down, but there's more people doing jiu-jitsu than there ever was. Um, I do like it when it used to be a secret society. It's no longer a secret society. It is shared by the masses, which actually is what Jugro O'Connor wanted. He's the founder of judo. So actually, I think it's a good thing. Now, 
if us nerds get together and we want to point out some inefficiencies as a result of that, we can say yes. Uh, there's certain things like, and I'll just be specifically honest, like the hip throw, Ogoshi, I think is a terrible self-defense move, but it sells because people think, oh, wow, I can be that dynamic because a throw, a tachi was a throw, a forward throw, right. in which people fly over you and are hitting the mat, it looks amazing and it attracts people and that's a good thing. The reality is I don't think that specific move should be sold as a very good self-defense move because it takes a long time to develop the kazushi involved in throwing somebody who doesn't want to be thrown. And there's this, you take two steps back before you take a step forward uh, when you're learning tachiwaza. And what I mean by that is when you're doing a forward throw, if you're not good at forward throws, it's very easy for somebody to throw you backwards. Now that's me nerding out and getting to a specific throw because I see it sold over and over again. I teach it, but I teach it very rarely. I teach it to my judo kids, I teach it to my comp kids who are animals. But if I get a 34 year old school teacher that wants to learn self-defense, that's not very practical self-defense move, especially two years in of their training. Remember, when I say two years in, twice a week, very rarely three days a week, sometimes they go on vacation. So there's right. all these variables involved. Remember, we're in a society that uh, learns from, whether it's Fox News, Fox News or CNN, don't think, don't articulate reality, just throw things at you and move on to the next soundbite. So that's the same thing with selling. If you're selling something, you don't have time to articulate things. Right. That's what pod, That's what podcasts are for. So I think, uh, yeah, I think to an extent, a little bit watered down. At the same time, it's been a little bit more uh, refined, and it's people have done a better job making it uh, hold on to, I would say, the normal person who walks in who likes self-defense but doesn't want ears like Dave Camarillo or whatever. I think, Dave, this is, um, and, you know, I'm not going to totally agree with you on Ogoshi. I, I, I think Ogoshi, specifically, you know, achieving Gukuzushi, um, it can be effective to a certain point. But I, but I see what you're saying, that in reality, uh, in the street, Ogoshi is not going to be a perfect hip throw where you're rotating your hip dynamically and the person is, you know, caressing your back and falling. I, absolutely, 100%. I I get it, and and I agree with you in the fact that, you know, it, it's difficult to teach. I mean, I remember drilling hundreds and hundreds, you know, drills, Kazushi drills, you know, because the bottom line is that if you're not getting the person off balance, you're not making a fucking throw. That's it. And I think people get into this mode where they just feel like, hey, let me, they can carry somebody over having absolutely generating no power with the hip, no torque, and absolutely no off-balancing tactics. Um, and and I, I love the fact that you're, you know, you're saying, hey, li listen, Kazushi is huge. It's in, but for our listeners, Kazushi means, you know, off-balancing, you know, um, the opponent or, you know, as we call it, Nage or, uh, you know, Uke. So I come from, me, Dave, I come from a, a mixed background. You know, Aikido is a lot of my core, the way that I kind of uh, decided to, teach the, um, I guess, the concepts and, and the way that I've structured my my dojo. Um, with Aikido, the same thing, and I know that, that you're, you know, you're familiar with it. I think some of these movements that are so soft and people flying through the air, and, and that's why I left it, you know, 
13 years in because the reality is that it's not the art itself because taught, you know, going back to the 1800s, um, it was a very dynamic, hard-edged art, but the bottom line is that it distilled down, the training got crappy, um, it, everything was round, everything was just very fluffy to kind of like let other individuals in. So right. m- m- my question to you here is this, and, and, and I really want to dive deep in here. When we talk about distilling and diluting the arts, the, the martial arts itself to kind of, uh, you know, be okay for others to come in. Do you think that's got kind of cheap or cheating or, or do you think that might be something that just society were just headed that way? It's just what's your what's your overall goal? I mean, if this is self-defense, uh, I think diluting it. And again, I don't even like those words because immediately people think, well, uh, you're you're selling out. No, no, no. We're trying to keep people. That's the number one thing. Hey, my brothers, just a quick break in the action here. We have a private group on Facebook that's been growing. It's almost at 800 right now. It's titled The Brotherhood of Warriors. If you go to facebook.com forward slash Brotherhood of Warriors, you have to answer a couple of questions there and we'll get you right in. Some very good stuff going on. Also, if you have not done so, go check out the Warrior film that we have. It's a documentary and it's forgingawarrior.com forward slash warrior film. Now back to the episode. So yeah, with my students, we have a combative program. So I, I, I feel if you can't fight with your jiu-jitsu, then you're not a guerrilla jiu-jitsu anything. Not a blue belt, not a purple belt. Um, but there's advantages in combative sport aspect. The sport of BJJ has self-defense advantages because you have more grit. You don't get the grit from training self-defense unless you're doing, which is what we do, which I'm not going to get into because we don't advertise it, but it's a, uh, it's a test. So we have a test and it involves certain level of stresses and you have to perform in that test and people mainly fail it and then they do it again. And the idea is if we're not testing these people, I think that's what we're going to agree on. If we're not testing these people in self-defense, utilizing our, our creativity uh, and they're not forced to test, then we don't know how they're going to react in a fight. Now, we don't know exactly how they're going to react ever until they get into that fight. And that's the difference between somebody who spars MMA and then somebody who gets in the cage or somebody who does all kinds of military training and never goes to war. Uh, but the reality is we want to get them as close to that confidence as possible. Uh, and the other thing, when we talk about self-defense, what does that include? See, like these are large conversations. Like these are very in-depth. So self-defense includes what? Guns, knives, curbs, rainy weather, snow, cars. Of course, you know, environment, mul- mul- weapons, all that, of course. Mul- multiple threats. And so what I'm trying to do is increase their situational awareness because you can't have a, a, a combatives or self-defense class without talking about situational awareness, without talking about avoidance. So, for example, do not go to certain areas that, that uh, you know, uh, violent crime tend to originate or like bars where there's a lot of people and many things can go on. Uh, you know, all these concepts, I think, contribute their ability to avoid these situations. Now, when they're in it, they got to back up their verbal barrier. So they create a barrier. Hey, back off, man. Relax. Calm down, bud. Keep their selves calm 
because they're going to start freaking out because a fight is about to happen. And I don't care who you are. I'm going to have anxiety if I walk to my car after this podcast and somebody wants to fight me. There's going to be anxiety involved. It might not be to the level of uh, someone who's untrained, but I need to calm myself down. I need to make sure I you know, assess outside of that initial threat that's right in front of me. And there's all these things that are going on. But the reality is, what I'm looking at is if somebody continues training, where are they versus someone who quits and someone who doesn't train at all? So I think keeping a larger number of people, and we talk about watering it down, is more important than I have five guys that are amazing animals. They have horns. They have cauliflower ear. They're huge. Maybe they got tattoos or maybe they don't. And they can fight anybody anywhere at any time. Uh, yeah, we have, point, <laughs> we have those two. We have those two. And I feel like, yeah, if, if there's – uh, something that's going down, maybe I'm the alpha in the room, but that doesn't matter. I'd rather have the alpha be the alpha and then have all these underlings, the the blue belts who have gone through a proper training that can still defend themselves, maybe not to the degree that I could because I grew up surviving Ralph Gracie Jiu-Jitsu, which is totally awesome. You know what I mean? But uh, I just think, yeah, more people doing is is better. So it, it makes sense now – you know, when we talk about, you know, you, you, the way that you put, you know, you put individuals through these challenges and these tests and things like that. I mean, are, are you also focusing on developing their mindset? Mindset is part of everything. So they, they walk in, everything they do is the mindset, the kind of the grueling path to each class. Because some of it, you know, like I said, again, I'm trying to paint a picture, 34 year old school teacher or, you know, former NFL player. You know what I'm saying? So that's a huge spectrum where you have to be able to um, accompany the lowest common denominator. And that's what I do in every seminar. I'm not there to teach flying triangles or the chaotic. I can do those things, but not everybody can. So I need to get the attention of the lowest common denominator and make sure they don't quit. And that's always my focus. Uh, at the same time, in, in fights, when you look at what techniques did you use in that fight? Very simple techniques. It's just, did you do it under stress? And so when you talk about mindset, yes, the mindset's the most important thing. And so like I talked about, situational awareness, avoidance, uh, throttle up, throttle down. You know, I I heard this the other day. It says parallel danger, parallel the threat. I don't agree at all. I think you should always either one up or two up the threat. And that way you're ahead of, you're ahead of the curve. Yes. It's like a scramble in wrestling or a scramble in fighting. You want to have a higher level than your opponent because you can kind of see everything. Sun Tzu, art of war. You know, you're in a position where you can kind of see and anticipate your opponent's movements and reactions. So you want to throttle up above the threat, and then you want to control the threat. Once you gain control, you need to throttle yourself down. So that's another aspect of it. So when we talk about mindset, it's not just contributing to somebody that's going to pull the trigger, so to speak, not on a gun, but just pull their own kind of personal trigger to act appropriately, but also to throttle back down, you know, instead of I have total control of this guy and I'm still beating him in the head over and over, you know, that's, that's ridiculous. And I think a lot of uh, what I've seen, you know, and I've seen a lot, but a lot of uh, systems only focus on being violent. They don't focus on actually controlling their own anxieties. And I think, so when we talk about mindset, yeah, I need to be violent in violent situations, but I also need to have an empathetic uh, or a, just a calm reaction once the threat is under control. Excellent. Very, very good. I like that. 
you know, we never fight fair no matter what. We're always trying to be a step ahead or a step up, no doubt about it. Um, so I'm going to ask you a couple of things here. And um, how, I want to get your, you know, your view on this. And just, you know, listen, you know, this is a very open podcast, you know, no bullshit straight up. And I know you're that type of guy. So um, talk to me a little bit about martial arts such as kung fu such as karate such as aikido such as uh, what are the other arts that are constantly being made fun of um and those are i think those are like the 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 most that th those three stand out that you know people tend to you know say oh it doesn't work and and you know people just train at a, at a fluffy level and and you know forms you know, what's your take on that? Do you really believe that it's the martial art or the martial artist? Uh, I think uh, it's, this isn't an easy answer. So I think, like I said, there's kids that play video games all day long, and that's their joy in life. And to me, that has practically zero value. It, it practically has zero value. And then you say, oh, someone does kung fu, and that won't work in MMA in the UFC. Yeah, but they're doing kung fu. They're doing combative movement. They're coordinating their bodies. They're they're contributing to something that isn't just playing video games and pressing buttons. And don't get me wrong, I've played my fair share of video games, um, but I've never done kung fu. <laughs> but I've seen kung fu. Kung fu inspired people to do martial arts more than probably jujitsu has uh, overall. Jujitsu is still a baby, even though it's the growing. So you have to put it in a context. You know, I've been alive forty two years. I'm not. 15 i'm not 20 who looks at the world as what's happening now and they have nothing to back that up because their life experiences are very you know <laughs> short so i think kung fu is awesome I, I think aikido is actually an art that i actually want if i had time i would join an aikido academy um the reason why i like aikido is the flow and so we do what's called threading so we tie moves together and we're threading and it, it choreographs a fight which has a lot of value in fighting. Um, I'm going off on tangents, but sure. some people say, oh, well, you're choreographing everything. That's not realistic. No, no, no. I've done this in a fight, mm -hmm. and I'm faster at doing it because I've choreographed these opportunities. So essentially what you're choreographing is systematic movement. Well, that be, you're creating myelin in the brain neurologically, and then you just fire. You don't think. You're firing. We've seen this in fights all the time. That's what our my, my MMA fighters do. So we know it works. Uh and then when I look, I take that perspective and I look at Aikido and I think it's one of the greatest martial arts you can ever do. It's absolutely amazing. But you're talking to somebody who's done, yeah, functional martial arts all their lives. But then you go, well, what do you mean by functional? You know, there's so many benefits from other arts that might not be as functional as, say, MMA. And I'm just going to say MMA because then people go, no, Jiu-Jitsu is better than Judo and all that. No, no, MMA is better than all of them. Sorry. If you can do MMA in the context of just fighting, you are better than doing just jujitsu. There's no doubt about that. So it depends on what context. If we're talking about MMA, you know, UFC, I'm not going to do Kung Fu for that. But I might take a day off, go learn some Kung Fu, and actually incorporate one tiny aspect of that in my fight. I've taken, I've taken uh, value out of every single seminar I've ever been involved in. And I've sat there with combative instructors or defensive tactics, and I look at what they do, and I'm like, you know, scratching my head, but there's still value there. 
there's still some kind of value. Now, mm-hmm. if you press mm-hmm. me and say, well, yep. what if you, I can only do one art and I'm this age, 34 year old school. Okay. Jiu-jitsu. Of course, jiu-jitsu. Because jiu-jitsu will keep you longer because it's the only sparring art you can do pretty much forever. Um, so there's so many advantages with jiu-jitsu. But we look at other arts. First off, I have never done them. I've never partaken in them. I've only seen what I've seen. But there's value in every single one of them. And I think it's a little disrespect to say, you know, you know, uh, uh, I don't know. I don't, I'm not going to cuss, but like down with this art because it's flashy. Now, if I'm doing a chi ball and I have three people in front of me who are all falling down – well, obviously, you're preparing for a movie. This isn't real. <laughs> yeah. But if you're incorporating movement and striking, I think it's awesome. Um, and again, don't ever forget, whatever you know, it, it, it's up to the threat level. Like, what is the threat level? Like, there's really good world champion martial arts, let's say a BJJ world champion, and he goes and wrecks some threat. Well, then add another threat. Add two people. How do they do? Add three people. Add a gun. So it just depends on the level of the threat. I bet you if I took Kung Fu for a month and faced a normal average threat, I would beat him with Kung Fu. It just depends. It depends, you know? <laughs> no, it, it, it's interesting. I mean, that that is totally unexpected the way you answered this, which is, you know, very respectable and, and, and straight up. I like that. Um, and, you know, what I, my issue with, I guess the way that martial arts nowadays is, is that, you know, being out there in the street, I've been a cop for almost 15 years and most of my career I've worked undercover. And, uh, you know, I've been out there, I, I, you know, I worked in a very, very violent city and I've definitely been in my share of situations that I've had to fight for my life. Okay. And when I go out there and just like you said, I mean, Every threat is different. There are times where I have survived by striking. There are times where I have survived by throwing. There are times where I have survived by just, you know, putting myself in a position of tactical advantage. And there's other times where I've had to wrestle somebody on the ground. And if it wasn't for Nawaza, okay, judo techniques and being able to move around on the ground and position my center the right way, you know, I could have gotten my ass kicked. The problem that I have, okay, and this is coming from a law enforcement world here now. MMA, and I'm not putting MMA down, MMA is not self-defense in other words it is not self-defense oriented for law enforcement in the sense that law enforcement in general the way that i teach is you're constantly upping right i mean we agreed on that that you're always upping okay we have a tool belt and that tool belt we can always escalate to a higher level the problem here is that a lot of DT guys, a lot of defensive tactics are jiu-jitsu guys or MMA guys, and they just want to teach that mentality, excuse me, not the mentality, they want to teach techniques that in the real world, you're going to have an issue. And the trend has been coming, especially for jiu-jitsu, coming in to DTs more and more and more. And I could tell you a lot of the in-house guys you know, that's all they want. You know, they want to train from the ground. They want to train from the ground. They want to train from the ground. In reality, of course, we want to be able to defend from that position. But as a cop, that's the last fucking place you want to be in. And 
as comfortable as we can sit there when you're with their with you're on a vest you're in a hot fucking concrete you know you have the big belt around you you know your adrenaline is at 100 miles an hour uh, you know the confusion the radio going off it's not like on the mat so i want to know that being that you are you have worked with law enforcement what's your take on all that i agree but there's an asterisk obviously there's there's yes but um, let me go with, I agree with you. I think, uh, this is the same as self-defense, uh, or I've been a grappler forever. I have these years, but if I get in a fight, I don't want to get on the ground. <laughs> I want to avoid the ground as much as possible. That whole 95% of fights go on the ground. Remember, that's what we kind of all started with, with Horry and Gracie talking about that FBI study where 95% of all fights go to the ground. Yeah, but I'm trained. So if it goes to the ground, that means he's to the ground and I'm moving away. But in your case though, uh, being law enforcement, yeah, you have to go to the ground eventually because if you go hands-on and the guy's combative, you have to cuff him. It's just, that's just the way it is, right? Correct. I mean, that that's it. Usually when you take somebody down, it's at your, you know, at your level, at your dominance level, right? He's going down because I want him to go down. I'm taking him down, not because I'm going down with him. Right. Yeah. So, but I agree with you. If If this is a thread, we're starting standing. We're moving away from power, we're uh, being firm with our voice. If you need to get him to do something, then you're getting him to do something. If you need to draw your weapon, then you're drawing your weapon. If you need training with weapon retention, then you need training with weapon retention. We're just moving along what could happen as you approach a suspect. Uh, but eventually, if you're not going to shoot him, meaning there's no, I need to throttle up to the point where this is life or death, then you're going hands-on or you're stunning him with your... Uh, your taser, right? So, but if you got to go hands on and then he becomes combative, well, then you got to take him to the ground. Then you got to fight on the ground. Uh, I think, though, I would say there's misconception with a lot of defensive tactics instructors when they say, well, I don't want to go on the ground. So, why am I learning all this? Because we hear that all the time. Whereas mm -hmm. right. the training on the ground, which is what I call worst case scenario, like mount, like you are mounted and you're an officer. Well, you get guys that go on the beat or whatever in the field as law enforcement and even military who've never been put in that situation. Whether they are in the field or not is irrelevant. They've never been punched in the face. They've never been mounted. They've never had someone mounted and trying to punch them or choke them. So if that happens, they're going to they they're firing from such a terrible place that their reaction speed, their ability to make the proper reaction goes out the window because they're not desensitized to these so i agree with you you can do all these things before it goes to the ground but if you're not training people to escape a simple mounted mounted position and go through that process then there is a problem because you know you are as good as the worst case scenario you know you're as confident as you can be unless you know uh you're going into real life situations without experiencing the worst thing that could happen. So it's not just the technique, I would say, it's also the experience of going through, yes, I've had somebody on top of me. Uh, and I think a lot of people who say, I'm not gonna roll around on the ground with somebody. Yeah, great, but if it happens, <laughs> you're in trouble. You know, you don't have that confidence going in and that's really what it is. It's not just the technique, it's the confidence. Like I have confidence in every bad position you could put me in. Therefore, when I grab you, 
<laughs> that grab is grip, you know, that grip is much more confident. I'm more calm. I'm trying to calm you down because if I don't have those experiences, the chance of me ramping you up is there. Like, because my anxieties are not under control, I'm going to ramp you up. And now I got to fight on my hands that I didn't have to fight. So I think uh, law enforcement, military who are untrained potentially are creating fights that that shouldn't have existed because they have not gone through that type of training. So it needs to be holistic is what I think we're agreeing on. The type of training needs Absolutely. to be needs to be holistic. It needs to be I'm in control and all the way to the other end. Oh, my gosh, I'm mounted. He's grabbing my weapon. Uh, so I think we agree on that. I don't think that's rocket science. No, 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 no. That that is absolutely. I mean, it, it's no doubt about it. You have to know groundwork. You have to be able to get, you know, get out of basic mount escapes, rear escapes, ab- absolutely even choking, you know, choke escapes. No, no doubt about it. Um, and I think that it's crucial. You know, my only point was the focus should not just be that. And unfortunately, we're seeing the dynamics of a lot of the DTs that are being taught is just focusing on the ground, on the ground, on the ground. Yeah. And uh, I think that we that there are other aspects that need to be, we need to go back to teaching, you know, distancing. We need to go back to teaching our hands, you know, striking. Uh, instead of just automatically saying, hey, you know what, you know, we're going to fight from the ground and, and, and the fuck with it. Yeah, no, I, I totally agree. I think I think it's holistic, but I think this is a deeper issue. I think the issue is uh, cultural. Um, I was at a Jocko Willink uh, was invited because we have a ton of law enforcement here that train here. And, every, you know, he would ask for questions, all law enforcement, 300 people. And everyone kept raising their hands, so they're all cops. They kept raising their hand and saying, well, what if I don't get the support from my the uppers in terms of the budget? And because he was talking about training, everybody should do jiu-jitsu, everybody should do some type of defensive tactics. And so these law enforcement would keep raising their hand and saying, yeah, but I'm not getting the support. What happens if you're in a situation where I can't get support? And he was pretty clear, and I was pretty clear. And, I, and he said, it's very simple. You're... This is an extreme ownership uh, <laughs> seminar, and uh-huh. here you are. Here you are pointing the finger at somebody else. When the the reality is, and I think this is to all law enforcement, whoever is listening to this law enforcement, you really have to take it into your own hands. Your training and your livelihood and your ability to really be confident at your job is actually in your hands. It's not your department. Absolutely. Hands. And that's a big yes. point that needs to be talked about because everyone that trains with me that's law enforcement will agree. There's not a single one would be like, yeah, but no, no, no. They all agree because they're the ones spending their own money to invest into their job, meaning their ability to increase their ratio to not only get the bad guys, but to go home at night to their families. But that's got to be Absolutely. a personal choice. That's got to be a cultural thing. Um and, and, and there's, 100%. Some good, there's some good people like you and others that are, that are, you know, you know, uh, trying to change that culture, but it's gotta be in your, it's, it's the, the look in the mirror. That's, that's the main thing. Look in the mirror. Um, you agreed, know. man. Agreed. You couldn't have said it better. All right. Let's talk to, a little bit about your military combatives and what kind of made you go in that direction. I know that you do some, some firearms training and things like that. So what made you kind of step up and go that direction? Well, uh, with the firearms, I've been shooting since I was five. So I grew up in a household. Both my parents shoot. 
they uh, all my entire family hunted at one point uh they still hunt whether it be bird dogs they they white-tailed deer mainly but they've hunted you know elk awesome. all kinds of things so i grew up in that environment that's number one uh so i've been shooting since i was a kid i my first gun was a i think a 22 hornet if anybody knows what that is oh yeah i think Hell it was yeah. Yeah. 22 hornet yep. <laughs> it's a bolt action uh and then uh one of my really early guns was a 243 uh, Savage model, Savage model something 243. Anyway, it was a lever action. Anyway, I'm get, I'm nerding out. But uh, in the last eight, last eight years, I, I got into the AR platform and Glocks. And the reason why is because uh, the people I work with you utilize the M4, which is similar to the AR AR15, uh, and they use either Sig or Glock. Uh, so I got a Glock 19 and I started training and I feel just like I felt when I, when I went to AKA, when I went to AKA, I had done very little striking. I did, you know, as a black belt in judo, black belt jiu-jitsu, very little wrestling. So the first thing I did, what do you think I did the first time I got there? I was like, well, I'm going to be an MMA coach. I need to learn to strike. I need to learn to wrestle. And so I spent years training with Javier Mendez, who works with all those guys, Khabib, all those guys. Training with him, working on my striking, my Muay Thai with other trainers, my wrestling with guys like DC, Kane Velasquez, John Fish, Josh Koshek. So I was surrounded. I mean, it's a Disneyland of, you know, of mixed martial arts. So I took advantage. So by the time I left AK, I could strike, I could wrestle, I could, I could fight. You know, I was sparring with Josh Thompson. I was sparring with Koshek, getting them ready for their fights. Not only was I a coach, but I was in there. But my point is... Uh, you know, when I started doing the, the combative thing, I took the same mentality. The mentality hasn't shifted. It's the same. So when I started doing that heavily, I'm like, oh, well, I can shoot the bolt action rifle. I can shoot a revolver. It's time to uh, really elevate my uh, capabilities so that I can be better and understand their world. And so I do weapon transitions, AR to pistol. Uh, I train with guys who've been to combat. I've... Uh, I do is I take courses whenever I have time. I took a fieldcraft survival uh, car course, um, so I'm heavily involved in shooting. I try to shoot at least once a once a week. Um, again, I just feel it's it's really given me an understanding of that world because I will never be, you know, uh, at war and I will never arrest somebody unless they're in my house. No, that's awesome. I mean, and and I believe that you know firearms training gives you. There's something about holding that steel in your hand and you know letting it explode and being able to uh, really concentrate and pinpoint. For me, anyways, I've been shooting for years and years, and you know, as far as you know, moving into a house, you know, a SWAT team, or moving, you know, around and knowing that you can shoot that gun precise is, um, especially under stress, kind of increases your mindset. No doubt about it, man. No doubt. Um, as far as the the combatives, the hand-to-hand combat, so you trained with all these guys. So what is your end goal here? I mean, ultimately, you just want to get to a certain level or you're, you're just enjoying the journey? It's hard to say there's a goal. I mean, my goal is to provide for my family forever. My goal is to provide for people, uh, work with Gorilla Jiu-Jitsu and our organizations, uh, and provide the best service possible to people who put themselves in harm's way because I'm heavily involved in this now. We started a company, Crave the Battle. You can follow it on Instagram, Crave the Battle. 
uh, and it's really aimed. I mean, we're doing free work with SWAT teams, with law enforcement, because we know uh, they don't have the budget. They don't have the means to get proper training. So literally, I open my my doors to get people in the, the local SWATs that we have in our academy. And we do specific, what I call situational combatives, because there's general combatives, which can you fight? And then there's situational. So I've been working with them. Um, and and so my I, it's hard for me to say a goal because I'll be dead before <laughs> I'm as good as I want to be. <laughs> if that makes sense, that's right. you know like our our podcast. Very humble. Very our humble. Podcast man. called uh, awesome. Position Impossible. I will never reach a position in life where I want to be. You know, I will I will be gone. My mm-hmm. my son will take over, um, and my students will take over. That's awesome. Is your son training martial arts? How old is is your son? Yeah, he's two years old. I throw him around a lot. <laughs> uh, soon enough he'll be on the mat huh? oh yeah uh the training starts i think uh pretty soon just real simple stuff like uh position recognition things like that awesome awesome all right dave i'm gonna ask you a question that i ask all my guests here what is your definition of a modern day warrior uh, i'm gonna do my best to answer that i think my definition of a modern day warrior is Anybody who is who does not allow uh, a mindset of contentment in the areas that consist of desensitizing themselves to chaos in the physical realm, in the mental realm, it's somebody who pushes forward, leads by example, uh, roughs them, roughs themselves up. To, to, awesome. to better themselves and better their family. I when, when you say warrior, I have friends that have been in combat. I have friends who've been shot. I have friends who've done some pretty crazy things. I have also friends who've never done any of that, but have fought in cages and uh, proven themselves in that arena. So I don't think it's any one person. I think it's a it's an actual struggle within each individual. And if you're on the, the, the kind of mindset where you're just going to keep bettering yourself uh, with everything that that uh, in the realm of being a warrior, then then you're on your way. That's awesome, man. Excellent. Excellent. I love the fact, you know, it's about bettering yourself. No doubt about it. All right, Dave, listen. All right. You let us know where people can reach you, where they can follow you. It's and, uh, you know, do you have a, a YouTube page by any chance or a YouTube uh, channel? Yeah, right now it's just clear the battle everything i'm doing i'm putting into this this new venture and again it's just trying to offer training to law enforcement military um you can find me on instagram dave camarillo uh and come join us for a class experience you know our our take on combatives self-defense combative sport judo jiu-jitsu pretty much everything <laughs> just like yourself <laughs> awesome man awesome uh, yeah so what I'm going to do, guys, for uh, for our listeners, I'm going to have the links to Dave's. Uh, um, what is the name of your new company now? Crave the Battle, you said? Crave the Battle. It's just right, it's so an I'm... offshoot of Gorilla Jiu-Jitsu, and uh, it's more the combative side of everything. Got it, got it. So we're going to have a link for that. We're also going to have a link for uh, Dave's IG. And, uh, man, listen, it is awesome, man, talking with you. I got to tell you some good stuff here, no doubt about it. 
and uh, you know you know your stuff you know and just just what I expected I love the way you answered some of these questions you know we kind of dove deep in here and you, you you were there I mean so that's awesome man I would love to keep you on for hours and hours because we could sit, sit here and definitely shoot the shit for a while but uh, you know we try to keep the podcast here for about 50 minutes or so oh also what, what's the name of your podcast so our guys could uh, listen to it it's called position impossible position impossible all right i'll link that up also man how's that doing is it the, the podcast world uh <laughs> it's fun man yeah, yeah i i literally i don't pay much attention to it i just do it and then move on to something else but uh yeah it's fun it's cool awesome it's awesome. fun all right dave listen thank you for being on my brother and we would love to have you back soon no thank you for all your uh everything your contributions your everything keeping people safe in your community i appreciate it man thanks my brother so there you have it, a very deep conversation with Dave Camarillo. This guy truly lives a life that embodies that warrior spirit. All right, gentlemen, check this out. If you don't integrate what you learn here into your life, you're not going to get anything out of it. So it is important that you step up and you start integrating what you're learning here into your life. Take action, gentlemen. Take action, of course. And give us a follow on Instagram at Man of War with two R's. You know what? Tag us on a post. Share our post. Let's continue building this movement, man. We need more warrior-minded men like yourselves out there. No doubt about it. And don't forget on Fridays we have the Warrior Chronicles where we're going to go in deep into various subjects. We're going to inspire you. We're going to motivate you. We're going to get you going, especially through that weekend. All right, gentlemen, until next time, your life may be challenging and full of dangers, but never retreat. Your last battle may be your greatest victory.